Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for another podcast. You know, one of the things that's happening right now is that throughout the nation, we're beginning to conduct roundtables. These roundtables are great leadership moments. What I love about them is every roundtable is bigger than it's ever been. More people are learning the value of being in the room, that leadership is caught as much as it's taught. See, if you're in the room with a high-impact leader, it stretches you, it grows you, it expands you. Well, I want to give you some opportunities. On March 3rd, we will be in the Orlando area. I want to encourage you, if you're around the Florida area, this is a great opportunity. Uh, We have a great crowd already coming, but we would love to have you be a part of that roundtable. And then also on March 10th, we will be in Albuquerque, and we will be doing another Uh, roundtable. Again, we have a great group of people that have been with us literally for years, and I would just love for you to participate. And then one of my favorites is March 24th in Atlanta. This is a roundtable that is just uh, a great environment, a great host church, a great team of people, and I think you would enjoy it. So if you're in Florida, New Mexico, Georgia, I want to encourage you to come and to be a part of our roundtables. You can go to GeraldBrooksMinistries.com. It will list all the roundtables. You can sign up there. Also want to encourage you, all our resources are there. Hey, I want to take a minute and I want to talk to you about leadership that goes the distance. Leadership that goes the distance. Here's one of the things that we know is true in life, and that is there's always a crowd at the starting line, but there's not a crowd at the finish line. Why is that? More people start than finish. Years ago, those of you that are into car racing, you'll recognize the name Rick Mears. Rick Mears won the Indianapolis 500. It was interesting that when he won, he was asked a lot of questions by reporters, but there was one question that his answer to me was so intriguing. A reporter looked at him and said, Rick, what is the key to winning the Indianapolis 500? He paused, he looked at him, and he said, finishing. They just sort of shrugged their shoulder and he said, you got to understand, most of the people who start this race do not finish it. But if you're going to win it, you've got to finish it. There's a personal story I love telling. It's about my daughter, Casey. She's just a wonderful uh, soul. Uh, Honestly, Jenny did such a great job raising her and all three of our kids, and they've all turned out well. But Casey was just a little youngster, and she was taking piano lessons. Now, if you're a dad, uh, what piano lessons means is that every day you get to hear them practice the same song over and over and over again. And then one day, your wife tells you, we are going to a piano recital to hear them play the song that you've heard every day over and over again. Now, I literally have heard this song Casey gets up there. She's playing the piano. She goes through this song, but she reaches a place where it's clear she's forgotten 
what is next. So she literally starts over and she gets to that same place and she can't remember and she starts over and she gets, she did it three times. The third time what she did in music speak was she resolved it. She did that resolution chord right at the end. Now, the interesting thing was Casey felt like she had blown it. I felt like she was an immense success. The reason being was she didn't stop. She didn't quit. She didn't give up. She kept going and going and going, and she figured out a way to end it. See, all leaders need the ability to go the distance, because if they don't, the people who are following them won't. So leadership that goes the distance. Now, let's just set the record straight on a few things. One, uh, on the spiritual side, the anointing is not a substitute for spiritual discipline. So just because you're highly anointed doesn't mean that somehow that's going to short circuit the need for discipline. Also, giftedness does not replace the need for character. And the way anointing doesn't replace the need for discipline, giftedness does not replace the need for character. And ministers are not exempt from biblical requirements. See, I can say that I'm a minister, but that doesn't mean that I'm exempt. There is no such thing as a spiritual shortcut. Another thing that every leader needs to understand, when you listen to the applause, you usually are going to miss God. So if you're listening to people applaud you, high five you, pat you on the back, you're probably on your way to missing God. And another thing that I can tell you is the bigger the ministry is, the more problems you'll have. Why? Because bigger ministry means more people. And I've never found anyone who didn't have problems and they bring their problems with you. And another thing you need to understand is that crowds never build your self-esteem, but they will show you your insecurities. See, crowds magnify whatever is insecure in you. It magnifies them. So those are just some base thoughts. The anointing, you don't get to use that instead of discipline. Giftedness, you don't get to have that instead of character. You're in ministry, you're not exempt from all the other biblical standards. There's just not a shortcut in life. When you listen to applause, you're about to get yourself in trouble. And the bigger the ministry, the more problems you're going to have to handle. And crowds don't build your self-esteem, but they do magnify your insecurities. All that being said, I want to walk you through six points about Paul and finishing. Those of you that um, understand and know the Bible a little bit, you understand Acts chapter 20. Paul is one of those transitional moments. The transitional moment is just one of those moments where he's beginning to realize there's change that is going on. But as that change is going on, it's going to require him getting out of his comfort zone, but not only him, all the people who followed him. And in there, Paul is talking to them, but he's also talking to him. See, we never speak to others without really speaking to ourselves.
And so what he's going to do is he's going to begin to handle this trans, uh, transition. As he begins to make this change, he's going to begin to handle it, but he's going to give us some clear principles on how you handle change so that you finish well. Let me give them to you. Number one, your life should be your greatest message. Your life should be your greatest message. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 18, he looks at the people at Ephesus and he says, you know what manner of life I've had. He didn't say, what did I speak on Sunday? He didn't say, what was your favorite sermon? What podcast did you like the most? He said, you've seen my life. And one of the things that I always say is that our life is the ultimate message. It's just the ultimate statement. Recently, someone came to my wife, Jenny, and we've been married for 42 years, and marriage is just marriage. There are up times, there are down times, there are good times, there are bad times. There are times when you have it together, and there are times when you, you think you'll never get it together. There are times when you feel like it's working and times when you feel like it's not. And it doesn't matter whether you've been married one year, two years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, or 42 years. That's just marriage. But it was interesting. There was someone who came to her and just said, you know what? We watch you and Gerald. We watch how you handle marriage. Now, let me just say something. That was a terrifying thing because I don't think I'm good at marriage and I think marriage is hard. Now, I love Jenny and I love her passionately and Jenny loves me and she loves me passionately. But I also understand what Billy Graham said when he was asked about his marriage to Ruth Graham and he responded by saying, we're lovingly incompatible. I love that term. We're lovingly incompatible. He said, we're just different. We think different. We do some things different, but we love each other. And, and the love has always has to trump the incompatibility. But see, all of those things come back to a certain concept, and that is, your life matters because your life is the message. See, in the secular world, you can have five bad marriages, but if you're the CEO, it's all right. As long as you brought profit to the bottom line, you're considered a success. In the secular, your kids may not want to ever be around you, but if you've created a stock portfolio that is creating quantifiable results every year, you're a success. But the truth of the matter is succeeding at work and succeeding in life are not the same thing. Your life has to be your greatest message. He said, you know what manner of life. The second thought, your heart skills are your key skills. Your heart skills are your key skills. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 19, he says, I've been serving with all humility. Humility is a heart skill. See, we go to school to learn hard skills. These are the skills of accounting, law, medicine. These are the skills of engineering, chemistry. 
These are the skills that take us into various work arenas. But your heart skills are your key skills if you're going to finish. He says we served with humility. Humility means this. We never took ourselves so seriously that we didn't take God serious. We never thought more of us and we did so by thinking less of you. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says that everyone needs to think correctly. Not higher than they should, that we're all big and bad, but not lower than we should. We're all messed up. But that there's a right way of thinking. And that thinking is we always think of joy. Jesus first, others second, and you are last. That's what brings joy. When Jesus is first and others are second and you're last. But that happens because you have humility. You can step away from being the person who gets all the attention. See, if you need all the attention, you probably need a counselor. So your life should be your greatest message. Your heart skills are your key skills. Number three, do what's best for others. In Acts 20, 20, he says, I've kept nothing back. He says, I've given my all. It's interesting in the Greek, it's a term that is used in sailing. So imagine during that day, they didn't have uh, engines and they didn't have the ability to uh, create great force through mechanics. But what they did was they took advantage of the wind. And so what they would do on a ship is they would have their sails. And sometimes, depending on where they were going, their sails were fluttered a certain way or this way. And sometimes they were uh, partially open because of just the logistics of sailing. But the term here where it says he kept nothing back, it means that the sails were totally open. They're totally open. They're to the widest dimension possible. And that's what Paul's saying. I gave you everything. It's the biggest dimension. It's the widest dimension. I didn't keep anything back. I gave you everything. Here's the thing. If you're going to finish, finish because you did your best by giving people your best. See, that's ultimately where we'll be. Do we give people our best? And then we do our best. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 21, he gives us another thought. And that is, if you're going to finish and you're going to lead for the long haul, then make it about Jesus. We've already given you the JOY acronym. uh, Jesus first, other second, your last. But in Acts 20, 21, he just makes it about Jesus. He says, whether it was the Jew or the Gentile, Our response was the same. It was faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. It was faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the room he was in didn't change the message he had. See, even though the room might be more receptive to a different message, his message didn't change. 
That's one of the things that if you're going to be a profound leader, you've got to find your voice. You've got to find your message. And whatever that voice and whatever that message is, you have to articulate it and you have to articulate it well and you have to articulate it with clarity. And for Paul, it was very simple. It didn't matter whether it was the Jews or the Gentiles, those people who may have had the fast ramp or those people who had no ramp. It was faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Make it about Jesus. So Paul's just looking at these people and he's saying his goodbyes and he's saying, hey, my life's my message. Uh, my heart skills were my best skills. I always did what's best for you. And I always made everything about Jesus. But then in verse 22, he says, I go bound in the spirit. If you're going to lead for the long haul, you have to have a clear direction. You have to have clear direction. Now, I've talked about this. Um, Walmart's statement in their food department is this. Um, their target is the person who lives paycheck to paycheck. That's clear direction. Tesco's is the hurried housewife. That's clear direction. See, you have to know what your direction is. Walmart's not trying to build the most exotic pizza. It's trying to build the most functional, best pizza that someone living paycheck to paycheck can afford. Tesco over in the European and the Asian area, they're looking for that person who's in an extreme hurry and they want to make sure that they can get them in and out of their store. There's a clear direction. What is your clear direction? The ministry that I'm privileged to be a part of, we say it simply. At Grace Church, we create an environment for the lost to be saved and the saved to serve. That's our direction. We are going to make sure that lost people are going to have triumphant moments for Christ. And then in Acts 20 and verse 24... He says, I go bound in my spirit. I don't know everything. And one of the things I think every leader needs to come to terms with is that we don't have all the answers. We have more questions than we have answers. He says, I don't know everything, but I do know this. Affliction awaits ahead. But in verse 24, he says, none of these things move me. He says, it doesn't matter that I think hard times are going to be ahead of me. They don't bother me. They don't stop me. So what did he learn? He had learned to stay on target. Regardless of what's happening in life around him, he's going to stay on target. Now what Paul gives us is six life-finishing skills. How to lead for the long haul. Make sure that your life is your best message. That your heart skills are your key skills that you do what's best for others. You make it about Jesus. There's a clear direction of where you're going. And no matter what happens, you stay on target. I don't know about you, but I think Paul may have been onto something. I think when he said, I finished my course, he knew how to finish. 
And I think it's important for all of us to lead for the long haul and to finish well. Thank you again for joining me for the podcast. Hey, again, could you jump on my website, geraldbrooksministries.com, see all the resources, but not only that, uh, the Florida Roundtable, the Albuquerque Roundtable, the Atlanta Roundtable, and then we have a roundtable that'll be out in the LA area, and we have others after that, and we just want to encourage you to jump on board and to get involved in those because I just think they'll help you. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to geraldbrooksministries.com.